0: Hi guys, I'm Chris and I'm Mike and welcome back to No Limits, a mid-rap podcast episode 22, Mike. How you doing?
1: Wow, 22. Can you believe 22? That's something. Uh, Congrats to you, congrats to us. (laughs) Congrats to you. I forgot to bring that up when we hit 20, so I figured 22
0: was just as good...
1: (laughs) I feel like 25 will be the nice milestone. We're probably going to record it and not have no idea. I and know then by like 28 we'll be like, oh, did you know we're 25 episodes in already? <laughs> I was, I just
0: saw it right now, so that's why. But
1: I just got to see you this weekend. It was great. What a blast, man! And I hope our listeners caught a little bit of a recording while we're on the golf course <laughs> last episode in the post credits. But um. That was fun. That was fun seeing the boys kicking back, playing some golf, eating good food. Great food. Diane
0: does it right. Um. Yeah. That that was funny. You you just shoving a microphone in my mouth, in my face. Uh, golfing like, let's get a pod in real quick. Something
1: for the pod. It's like, we're running out of time. We're not going to sit down and talk total power, so we got to do this thing right now. <laughs> with the wind blowing, oh, it was a disaster. I feel like you're tipping over, trying to take a shot with my 5-iron. <laughs> uh,
0: on a more serious note, we want to welcome one of our newest patrons, George M. Thank you very much for your support. Um, without you, we wouldn't be able to do this, so big shout-out to George.
1: Yeah, and speaking of patrons, we have an announcement to make about our September book giveaway. We're 10 days into the month, and uh, we haven't mentioned it yet. So for all our patrons, anyone who joins uh, this month, we are going to let you pick the book. So if you're the winner of our book giveaway, we'll pick the name of one patron this month. You get to choose any of these autographed books. We have Executive Power extreme measures pursuit of honor act of treason protect and defend and a kyle mill special the survivor that was his first right yeah that was kyle's first yeah kyle's first that one's signed by kyle the rest are signed by vince and um the winner will get to pick one so become a patron this month and we will enter your name into that contest very cool very cool so what are we covering today chris it's time
0: today we are excited to bring you our part one of Total Power, which is finally being released today. So as you're listening to this podcast, it is being released. Because of that we want to give you very fair warning. Yes. spoiler spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you have not read Total Power yet, stop listening, go and read it, order it, audiobook it, whatever binge it, and then come back to us. If you have read the book, then enjoy enjoy this first podcast. So yeah, we're going to be doing a little bit different format this month, uh, because it's such a new book. Uh, we wanted to try something out new. Part one is going to be the first half of the book, um, where we're sort of going intermin- to intermix uh, plot summary along with our themes and and winners and losers. And then next week we'll drop part two, and it'll be sort of the same. And then we'll wrap it up with our overall winners and losers and and our rating. And so. We figured we'd do that since it was a new book, give people a chance to you know, read, listen to something, and then read some more and, and finish it up. So yeah, and if you guys like that, we could keep, keep rolling with that style. So yeah, that's
1: total power. We're excited to talk with you. Yeah. And chapter 20 is where we decided to uh, cut our two parts, uh, part one and part two. So if you have just picked up the book, as soon as you get through chapters one through 20... Uh, feel free to come back and join us for part one. We won't be spoiling the second half of the book until next week with part two. Right. All right, let's get into it.
0: All right, so looking on Goodreads, uh, it's a very fresh book, only like under 200 reviews, but um has a pretty high rating, 4.71. And the GoodRead summary is is this: so, in in this next thriller by the New York Times number one New York Times best selling author of the Midtrap series, it's a race against the clock when ISIS takes out the entire U.S. power grid and throws the country into chaos. That's actually the perfect summary for the first half because we're going to be stopping right when the attack happens. So,
1: right when the country is thrown into chaos, the second half, I guess the the middle part of the book. And the and into the ending is the fallout of the attack, how America deals with this uh, an attack of this nature, and how Mitch right. Rapp and crew deal with an attack of this nature once it happened, which is pretty unique for uh, Mitch and Irene, a new situation for them.
0: Yeah, I I just want to like I don't know we can kick it off with like our overall theme of of the first half or, or the first twenty chapters, and to me what came to mind was this loss of control and. We don't often see Mitch not in the seat of control. So and really he lets this this attack happens on his watch and it happens because they messed up a little bit. So, yeah, I thought that this was a very interesting idea to put Mitch Mitch into that situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. And our main villain is the opposite end of that, where Mitch and Irene are usually masterminding the pace of the narrative, or they're 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 in charge of and controlling the next steps, and that's what makes them so great at their job. They could see one step further, and that's how they always won in the end. This book, they can't see five minutes into the future without something unpredictable happen happening. So that loss of control absolutely applies to them. But the main villain, uh, John Alton, or who we're going to see is nicknamed Power Station. He has that locus of control. We get inside his brain in a lot of these bureaucratic meetings, or even we'll talk about in a few minutes, a scene in front of Congress. And that power dynamic is shifting away from Mitch and the team to power station and the villain. And we really see inside his brain how he's assuming control and he's planning out the events and everything's going to happen according to his pacing. The reason our heroes are able to, you know, save the day, essentially, or do their job is because he starts losing that control as well. Right. Yeah, so if if we open the book, the first thing we see after the title page is a nice quick acknowledgments section. Kyle really took the time and thought about who his career and this book in particular is uh, he's thankful for. And I don't know if you caught this, Chris, but I liked he opens with. His teacher, his first grade teacher. Ooh. Yeah, Mrs. Burnside, um, as he says, who stoked his desperate need to know where Dick and Spot would run next, and uh, his seventh grade librarian. So I thought that was a nice little shout. Someone a little different, an educator, a fellow teacher. A fellow teacher of mine.
0: <laughs> Maybe one day you will inspire someone geographically.
1: Maybe I taught the next writer of Mitch Rapp novels. You know, maybe a long time down in the future here, you know, book 64. And then we move to the author's note. Kind of going back to that transfer of power early Vince style we talked about with Lethal Agent. Uh, Same thing in Lethal Agent. Mm -hmm. Very
0: similar thing to what we got in Lethal Agent.
1: Yeah. And this time, uh, Kyle writes, quote, the most terrifying thing about writing this book was how little I had to make up between actual historical power outages government assessments of power grid vulnerabilities, and official estimates of the casualties that a long-term outage would generate, much of the book wrote itself. Having said that, things like the details of how attacks would be carried out and specific locations of critical infrastructure have been purposefully obscured or fictionalized. Building the suspense, huh?
0: Yeah, Um. and honestly, that was one of the main things what I liked about this book was the realness that it conveyed. I don't know, I'm a sucker. Like, my other genre that I really like is, you know, post-apocalyptic tales, and and any, like, the Book of Eli movie, or The Road, or, I mean, that's pretty dark, but, you know, just, like, those kind, or, like, you know, the the zombie Dawn of the Dead, or what's the one on, on AMC, the TV show? The Walking Dead.
1: World War Z. I never read that, but I hear it's good. World War Z is good.
0: Yes. Like, just any of these uh, apocalypse things, I I really, I don't know. I don't know what that says about myself. But I I enjoy the apocalypse movie. And this was interesting to see this in this style of book. Because you bring in the whole thriller, spy element to it. And then you also add this apocalypse element to it. And I like that blending. And that was one of the best things I liked in this entire novel. And especially the fact that, like, which brings us back to our theme, the loss of control in terms of, again, Mitch let this happen. Or, you know, I guess there's other people to blame, too. But, like, we don't often see the attacks
1: happen, right? The CIA failed, if not just Mitch, the whole apparatus. The whole government, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even consider that as one of the genres Kyle's crossing over and bringing into the thriller world. Because usually I think thrillers okay the biggest threat you're going to face is nuclear annihilation and whatever that's run of the mill right we stop the attack the nuclear bombs don't kill everybody on the planet and look it's a thriller um it's it's suspenseful bringing in that apocalyptic genre that uh dystopian genre a little bit here really puts this thriller in a category of its own that's a creative blending i I hadn't considered and you're right it fits our theme yeah because most time these books are oh, there's a nuke that's going to come in
0: or this attack is going to happen, yada, yada, yada. And then most of the time, Mitch saves the day. I mean, there's like a couple instances where attacks do go off, not all the time, but like that. those are isolated incidents where hundreds of people are dying. In this case, thousands of people die right off the bat. Yeah, And it's like, not right off the bat, but like, you know, very quickly.
1: And Mitch has to work to like, Clean up the aftermath. Yeah. You know? And we'll probably get to it in the next episode because we're going to jump into the book. All right.
0: We're literally right off the bat, we're introduced to Sonya. And I kind of like this character, Mike. I, you know, she's a Russian mole. She's sent to meet up with this mysterious guy in the middle of nowhere. She was told to do a bunch of research on the power grid. And she learns this pretty crazy information that this guy has extreme control of the power grid. And that he wants to take it down, and he needs some operator's boots on the ground. And he thinks that
1: Russia Russia could be his source. So what did you think of the character of, of Sonya? I thought a real great opening, because this was the first part of the narrative uh, in the prelude. We opened with her driving through West Virginia, like you said, to meet this mysterious man who has some information. I kind of like it. Almost felt like we're opening uh, in media res, kind of in the middle of something. Like who is this? A cold opening. Who is? Yeah, exactly. Who is this Sonia? Where is she going? What the Russians had a sleeper agent this whole time? You know, just playing an average American. What is she in her thirties or so? uh, Late thirties, maybe. Like
0: like coder, right? She she does like code or works for a website or something like that. I forget.
1: Yeah, she's making her own way, working in computer software programming, and like, boom. Why is Russia awakening this sleeper agent um, right now? And I just loved it. We were kind of dropped right into the mystery of a story that seemed like it was already well developed in, in a paragraph. Right. I already felt like this story has been happening and in motion the whole time. And we're we're boom. We're dropped into it as the reader. So I like that. And and I liked her as a character throughout the whole story.
0: And then we quickly transition to our guy, Mitch, who is in Spain and Obviously, trying to search down the remnants of ISIS after Scott so conveniently killed Halabi um, for him while he was in the hospital, and we get that we get one quote uh, or one quick sentence where Rap coughs and he checks he he like keeps checking for blood, which he noticed that he, he hasn't done it for quite some time. But you know, it, it was a nice like reintroduction into Rap because we, you know, he was still in the hospital when we last left him, Um, but now he's back. He's caked in dirt, trying to kick some uh, ISIS badass, or trying to be a badass and kick some ISIS ass. There we go. But yeah, and and then immediately we cut to, we find information that we now know who is running ISIS in Halabi's absence, and that there is this tech guy called Khatan who is going to be traveling On a plane through Spain to go to U.S. to meet with somebody. And Rapp is very intrigued
1: by this. Why is this guy going to the U.S.? Yeah. And right before we get into the intelligence on the new ISIS leadership, um, you're right about Rapp still feeling the symptoms of being sick with that little cough. Kyle also gives us an update on the U.S. political system. I don't know about you, but at the end of Lethal Agent with Christine Barnett being told to take the pills and commit suicide... I was wondering, what does that mean for the election? What does that mean for the next president? And while we don't necessarily get get a lot of information right now, uh, Kyle does tell us a relatively unknown quantity won. So we have a president-elect. The polls showed that more than half of America would have preferred another election, but there was no constitutional basis or mechanism to invalidate the results of the election. So we have this unknown quantity who filled in, after uh, the lead candidate, Christine Barnett, um, committed suicide. And I'm just like, it, it, November 2020 in the real America is kind of scaring me a little bit. I'm a little nervous for the turbulence that our country's going to feel with our current political climate and current social fabric of America and here's Kyle explaining to us there's a contested election that more than half of Americans want to throw the results out of and the president elect ha- more than half of Americans don't want him but there's no constitutional mechanism to undo an election if you will i'm like holy cow Kyle like that's that's heavy stuff that i'm a little nervous this country might have to grapple with in just the next 2 months
0: <laughs> in the real it's world it's a very it's a very subtle way of putting our current situation into
1: the novels, you know, it's, it's a very, without blatantly doing it. Yeah. It was,
0: it was, it was nice. Nice touch.
1: So yeah, rap is getting debriefed and I think Claudia is, is doing the debriefing and everyone's in the room. We have the whole team. I think Coleman's there and, uh, Wick is there and who else is with them? Uh, Maslick is there and they're all hearing about from Jordy Cardenas, the, uh, Spanish chief of intelligence uh, debriefing them about this plane, and I, I don't know. I was uh, I wanted a little more. It, it kind of made me think of like, you know, in Star Wars, how Rogue One took this little nugget of somehow to start a new hope. They had the Death Star plans, and for a while, fans never knew where the Death Star plans came from. And is it Rogue One that end scene? Yeah, Rogue One. It's Rogue One that that famous Vader scene. Uh, where we realize how they hijacked and got the plans uh, out and passed it along to the rebellion. Here I'm like, how do we have all this intelligence on ISIS? Like who collected it? Who is Hamalkatan? Who is, I think there's another guy named Nahas who's taken over after Halabi, General Nahas. And so we seem to just get a load of information about the ISIS power structure. And I just feel like that could be a fun little short story to find out uh, who's collecting that information. How did the Spanish get it even?
0: To me this scene followed quickly by, you know, them letting the targets through the airport with their weapons and then allowing them to be on the airplane. There's a, like they're they're pretty sure there's Hamal, two uh, um, people with him. So they're like Pakistani guy who they they're not quite sure not about. Sure. But they're yeah. but they're almost they're but his actions are almost positive that he's he's not with them. And then to follow that up with the scenes where they're on the plane and then you realize that the plane was just a whole diversion full of operators that reminded me, it was so much like a mission impossible type yeah. narrative. It reminded me of like, like Mitch Rapp could have been Ethan, Ethan Hunt in that situation, you know? Yeah. Um, not like he's a little bit more, Mittrapp is a little bit more of a badass than Ethan Hunt. But I, I mean, I love Ethan Hunt. But uh, yeah, that that was an awesome little like Mission Impossible meets Vince Flynn in, in that whole thing. That was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. And I liked uh, hearing about in this room where they're getting the intelligence, they're bouncing ideas off of one another and they're trying to plan how to do this takedown. So they have to take Hamal Khatan. He's the ISIS top technology guy. And he's going to some meeting where they know there's some information that would lead to an attack. Uh, being transferred. And so why is this guy being flown into the U S but if they snatch him, the ISIS network will go in hiding. Uh, They'll never be able to uncover the plan and intercept it. So they can't take him. They can't snatch him. They can't show that they're being suspicious. And they also just can't shoot it down because they need the information. They need to know what, why he's traveling, who sent him and where, who he's going to meet. And so they're going back and forth about the plan. Uh, Rap says, what if we just take them down at security? And Bruno McGraw says, their network's going to find out. They're going to scatter. Rap says, right. Or s- somebody says, it's not clear who. He says, so we're going to get on a plane with an unknown number of terrorists carrying an unknown number of weapons and try to take them alive? That about covers it. Bullets and planes don't mix, Coleman pointed out. Remember Azerbaijan? Rapp remembered it a little too vividly. I got to be honest, I don't remember Azerbaijan. <laughs> what yeah, what's either. Coleman referencing there?
0: No, I like the the um bullets and planes don't mix. But yeah, no, that whole the whole sequence of like them figuring that out and then actually pulling off the plan, like you have yeah. cuz you don't know that the plane is full of other operatives from diff- various different, you know, like the guy who breaks his ar- or dislocates his arm is like a, one of the Japanese from the Japanese intelligence service and then this other random person who we we meet who uh, ends up punching Hamal in the face. and th- That was just great. I, I instantly thought of Mission Impossible when I was
1: reading this stuff. I was a little confused as the plane scene was going down. And I'm slowly piecing together like, oh, all these are planted intelligence operatives. And to show diversity on the plane so it looked like a normal crew, we contracted and worked with other intelligence services that we're allies with. And they're all in on the game. And the only ones on this entire passenger plane who are not in on the secret are the terrorists. Yeah. And I I just... As you're piecing that together... And it the was one like a puzzle, Yeah, and that innocent guy who they weren't sure about. Uh, but as we're piecing that together as a reader, I, I was just doing like loops in my mind. What's going on here? It kind of was fuzzy. And then you put that together with some comedic relief. My favorite was because... Uh, wick charlie wicker is a little shorter right that's always mentioned in the oh, book as yeah. the sniper his stature is a little smaller he can conceal himself well his disguise because they're all technically undercover on a wacky operation like this his disguise i forget how he's described but you know as a, a homosexual uh very flamboyant his dress and everything about him like I, yellow pants tight yellow pants right bright pants they give him i think piercings too in weird places and um, they put him next to one of these ISIS terrorists, one of these guys who probably has this super fundamentalist worldview who would hate everything about that lifestyle, and, and the terrorist doesn't even know that this little guy next to him, dressed up like this, is gonna kill him. <laughs> yeah, no that that was
0: that was awesome,
1: and he accidentally does kill him. Mitch starts yelling yeah. at Wick. He's like, "We needed the guy alive." And I think Wick's like, "Sorry, Mitch. <laughs> it just I slipped." <laughs>
0: yeah, no. When you were saying that, like, it got a little fuzzy. Like, I had to reread the whole portion of when, like, it goes from, you know, the lady like dropping some shit on the on the floor from her bag, overhead bag, yes. and then wrapped. Like, then I was like, "Oh, wait, is this was that supposed to happen, or was it was that fake?" And then like, and then it cuts black and then in the next chapter or in the next chapter we we get to see them he shows them that you know like our Fred mason was the pilot was you yep. causing that stuff to happen and it was almost like you you hit action and everyone stops because rap even like says they even say like oh like a couple rows up there's a bunch of like some random country or um might have said like uh People from the Netherlands or Swedish, like pe- uh, people were being a little ruckus. And it's obviously those are those are people
1: from like the Swedish intelligence. they operatives playing
0: yeah. playing the part, you know, Yeah, uh, that w- I really enjoyed that scene.
1: Yeah, that scene was a lot of fun for as confusing and wacky as it was. It had the payoff because even operationally, it was so sound because hearkening back to Coleman's bullets and airplanes don't mix a few chapters earlier. You're like, why did Rapp fire the gun during all this commotion into the roof? And he aimed particularly at the luggage rack. Well, it turns out, and I don't know how Kyle thought of this. Or forced the guy to aim. He forced, yeah, he grabbed the arm and in the struggle forced the bullet to go at the luggage racks, which they lined with Kevlar so that it wouldn't damage the fuselage and actually make Fred Mason's job even harder of landing the planes uh, safely. But why they needed that was they had somebody filming who they played off as just another passenger, but that film was going to be proof that there was no funny business. If there's a film of a struggle aboard an airplane and these terrorists actually shot a bullet on an airplane and there's cell phone footage of it, it proves that the plane crashed. All the ISIS guys are dead. There's no way they're going to be captured and give up their secrets and so the rest of the world saw this footage and assumed ISIS attacked and there was a struggle, the plane went down, we lost everybody, it's a tragedy. And meanwhile ISIS wouldn't hide their plans and, and uh go undercover or or duck out uh because ISIS thinks their guys are dead. So they would never consider that Hamal Khatan gave up information because he's dead. It, it it's a good way to serve like two, two purposes, so I mean, but as we know, Fred Mason is secretly landing the plane somewhere in the, uh, what was it, the Sierra Madre, in one of the mountain ranges over southern Spain, and um, they're all alive, and they will take at least to I don't know. I don't think, it, was anybody else left alive? I think one other terrorist might have been left alive, but they get the well, information. Yeah, no, we, but we see Marcus Duman in the field. Yes. Who
0: is not happy being in the field, and I like the one part was, he's like, because rap threatens to like light his hair on fire or think he even does he's like the last thing i need is to smell like burning hair on this airplane before i puke and then then he then finally before he gives him the the password uh rap threatens to like cut out one of his testicles i think and uh marcus is like please i don't want to see that just give him the
1: password (laughs) that's right oh no he's not just going to cut it off he threatens to oh, with a saw spoon, off with a spoon. the dude's testicle with a spoon in front of Marcus. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that Maslik throws at him after eating like some airplane spaghetti or, or something like that. He tosses yeah. him
1: the spoon. Oh yeah, that's that's yeah. classic.
0: I would that's I would love to see these as a movie because some of those scenes in the dialogue in like a movie I would love to see someone portray like Marcus and like that. That's just like a good movie scene. You oh know? Yeah, yeah, something that you would want to show on on screen
1: listen to this, though. I just found it. And this is rare. I usually don't have my copy of the book as we record, but uh, I'm flipping through it here, as you might be able to hear. On page 55, rap turned toward the galley where Joe Maslick was wolfing down what looked like a plate of cannelloni. Maz, give me that spoon. No, Catan shouted. Stop. Why would they tell me his name? You know, I don't know anything kind of gig. Um, and then when Catan didn't answer, a tomato sauce covered spoon came flying through the air rap caught it without taking his eyes off the man america's power grid katan blurted out as his eyes locked on the plastic utensil <laughs> dude doesn't want his balls cut off with a spoon
0: <laughs> no no he doesn't i wouldn't either i wouldn't either
1: oh man that's gold so
0: while all of this is happening in intermittent chapters we have two things that happen one Sonia goes to russia And relays to the Russian president, Boris Utkin, and uh, the intel head about the information that she gained from who we learned is Power Station. They ultimately decide to do nothing. That they're like, oh, we're going to use this information sort of, if it does happen, we'll we'll move some stuff around so we can better position ourselves afterwards. And that she's worried she's going to die, but she's just sent home to... You know, continue being the sleeper agent. As well, we then have a follow up with uh, John Alton, who is sitting in a congressional meeting scoffing at these politicians who, you know, call him a, um, you know, worrywart or doomsdayers or, you know, just this guy, uh, John Alton seems very, at this moment, very quickly we learn that he is the same guy from the first chapter. Because he says, like, at the very end of, the, of that, of the first chapter in there, that, oh, you're gonna see what I'm gonna do to your power grid, and then it sort of like clicks two and two together. Yeah. But you can you can see that John Alton is a very smart guy. He figured all this stuff out. He doesn't give a give a crap about talking back to some some politicians in in a, in a congressional hearing. Yeah. And that these guys, it, it brings me back to the what we were talking about earlier in, in a previous pod about how they're like, oh, you know we can't do this. It's going to cost so much money and this is never going to happen. And it just reminds me of the things that, you know, I guess the same thing with the pandemic with what we're doing now. And you could tie this back to lethal agent. Like you don't want to pay for it. Hindsight's 2020, 20, right? Yeah. You don't want to pay for it, but then if it happens,
1: you wish you had it, you know, type thing. Yeah. This congressional scene though, it takes like, I here's another angle that I liked about it. So Alton is hired, we learn, by Janice Crane at the Department of Energy, their Office of Cybersecurity, Energy Security, and Emergency Response. And she actually contracted him to put together a report for the Department of Energy to present to Congress about America's vulnerabilities on the power grid. So he literally was handed the access, right, to do this report. He was authorized to audit different power companies he was authorized to access their systems so that he could summarize in the report how we needed to upgrade infrastructure and software and so we learn he is like the country's top leader of power issues and infrastructure and he basically knows the ins and outs across the country of every power grid and so that's setting us up for him to play a unique role because later on we learn, or not not too far on, we're gonna hear while he was doing that report, gaining access and learning about all the regional systems around the country, he was secretly planting malware.
0: Well, and then that malware in the beginning wasn't it wasn't malicious. Yeah. It was like a it was it was like what you know like court like my inner university it does phishing scams against us just to like not not scams but sends us phishing emails and then if we click on it, they're like, Ooh, gotcha. Like this was an attempt and like and it's very similar. He was just probing to see the weaknesses and then he realized how deep he could get and he was like, I got something here. Very opportunistic.
1: Yeah, it's also like Sonya, right? The Russians had a sleeper agent in the country and they awoke her to get involved in this plot. He was kind of setting all this malware just initially to have a back door, kinda of just because I can. He's already he's like this jackass who just because I can, I'm going to one-up you right now. And slowly, having all this power given to him by the, the government, by being hired to be the government's source on this, he realizes he can collect that power a lot more quickly. And so planning this malware allows him to say, I can take control here. I can, you know." And I like the psychology of Alton. Quote, Alton didn't bother to hide his widening grin. These people were complete fucking idiots. And worse... They were complete fucking idiots who thought they were geniuses. The most dangerous kind. But just the kind the American people love to vote for. And then Congressman Graves responds, Everything's a disaster to you people. You're a regulator, so you regulate. You create these wild scenarios and tell us that everyone's going to die, so you can expand your own authority. You, Alton let out a low groan. What a load of horseshit. And then a little later on in the hearing, Quote, Alton watched silently, happy to finally get a little entertainment about being stuck in this hearing all day. Humans really were just monkeys throwing around feces. They'd grandstand for a while and then make a few backroom deals that led to absolutely no action at all. You could bring a human to water, but you couldn't make him drink. Here's something I thought about in that scene. He's sitting there as like a backbencher scoffing. He's not even the one in the hot seat at the congressional hearing. He's snickering in the background about every time one of these uh, congressmen says something dumb that he thinks is stupid, like, oh, you're not going to spend money to fix the grid. And, and he calls him out. He's like, who is this guy sitting over there? What's with that smirk? Wipe it off your face. And so that's just further emboldening Alton to put this plan in motion. He's got the power and now he's getting ticked off by the people in government who are just kind of mocking him. And it made me think it's like Mitch hanging around in all these meetings Letting the bureaucrats talk, talk, talk. It's just like Tutwiler. Attorney General Tutwiler and Transfer Power. Mitch was standing off to the side. Irene's like, don't say anything, stay in the corner. We didn't know who he was, and that's when he comes onto the scene. He bursts out and gives her the business and gives her the rundown. Well, it's the opposite with the villain doing that. He's sitting there getting mad at the bureaucrats, and all of a sudden he busts out and goes on a rant about the power grid and how vulnerable it is. And it was funny seeing that from inside a villain's mind, not inside our hero, Mitch Rapp's mind.
0: Whoa, that that's a very direct comparison. It's meta. Uh, yeah, because how many times have we seen Mitch sit into either a congressional hearing or a meeting with a bunch of politicians and do the exact same thing that John Alton did? Exactly. Wow, that's crazy. I never thought about that, but that is crazy right i i like but so this is a guy who it's mentioned all his life you know he has everything he was but he was always like never you know never wanted or like never never satisfied like you know people in college, in in school didn't didn't like him but he was like always smarter than people he could never like get the girl cuz he was never like satisfied with you know them but he pretends to be
1: a player all the time Right. Mr. Smooth Talker. He tries to get Sonya even at the at the house.
0: Yeah, he tries to like...
1: He's like, oh, this, this will be a nice add-on bonus. But it's just awkward. Uh, it's like, dude, you're not going to get her and you're probably not going to get anybody. So he's very much this isolated loser. It's
0: interesting to me because he's an interesting villain because mm-hmm. while he's super intelligent and I think his plan, for the most part, what well, we can pick our nets later... For the most part, was very smart and very well drawn out. But at the same time, he's like half of a smart villain, you know? Like half of him is really smart, the other half is pompous idiot. Yeah. You know uh, He's almost like a combination of from the last book that we did, Third Option. Not the last book, but the last book in the series we did, um, the third option. Combination of Hank Clark and mm-hmm. um his oh, why am I blanking on his operative right now? Uh, oh yeah, who did he? Uh,
1: the The professor Cameron Peter Cameron. The yeah, P- yeah. There we go. Yep. Peter Cameron. Thank you. They were also very aloof. Thought they were really good, but they're like, I really want to go kill somebody, but they think they're like a super assassin, and they've never. No, it's it's been almost hands-on. like you combine
0: those two ideas together because Hank Clark is very much a strong, strong yes. villain, right? And he smart, knows everything. Manipulative and smart and smart and manipulative. Like all then Peter Cameron. Peter Cameron was. You know, you could say like half smart, but yeah. very naive and, and, you know, but eager, like wanted, wanted to kill. Yeah. It's like if you combine those two villains together. That's like almost perfect why we just read that because wow. I thought of it.
1: But yeah. That's, that's really good right there. I like that. And to back up everything you're saying, just listen to these quotes uh, from that congressional meeting. We really hear inside Alton's mind about his motivations for this. He says, quote, he could still remember the exact moment in his life he had been transformed. Two years into the project, being a researcher for the government, he managed to get a worm to spread through more than half the country's power companies. It was in that split second that he realized he could do it. He had the access and tools to put the whole of America in the dark and keep it there. With little more than a wave of his hand, he could send the world's most formidable country Back to the 18th century. Like this plan is just forming in his mind. And he's just getting sucked in and sucked in to the power that he, he realizes he can wield. Uh, later on, a few chapters later, it even says, quote, power was a narcotic, though. Watching that man in the parking lot die and knowing it had happened because of a phone call he made was an incredible rush, a sensation that he had the ability to multiply a million times over. Not only did he possess the most devastating weapon in the history of the human race, but he had the ability to actually use it. Not like the nukes that had become a little bit more than tedious theater or the bioweapons that no one really had the guts to deploy. This was real. And he's in charge. Something else that emboldens him is actually being in the... Or at least watching the action go down at the diner scene. So John Alton was kind of like sitting up on a mountaintop. He had a scope. I believe he had a rifle as well. And the thrill of actually seeing the ISIS operatives. Eventually the Russians don't take his bait and want to work with him. But he does... And it's funny. He's just kind of texting ISIS. And he's getting mad at them. And he's, (laughs) and he's, he's actually a racist, right? He's saying all these... Uh Islamophobic. Oh, very much so racist. Yeah, these Islamophobic things, but he's trying to court ISIS. He's like, You idiots in your way of life, but he's also trying to get them to do his dirty work. And that's just another narcotic that's feeding into his um drive and ambition for power.
0: I think to bring in our theme again of this loss of control, we progressively see him lose control throughout this entire novel. And he craves control, he wants control, but he he ultimately like is just it's a slippery slope of him
1: losing it. Yep. And it's funny he's losing control as that thirst for power overtakes him. It's like the ring, right? It's Gollum yeah. in Lord of the Rings. As soon as even a hobbit succumbs to the power of the ring, that thirst for power will grow exponentially and everything about you will degrade. And so John Alton's faculties of being a mastermind, being really smart is degrading because power is taking over. And so his plan is slowly going to erode and crumble. Yeah. Yeah. So why are we at the diner?
0: We're at the diner because Mitch was able to find out through the information in Spain that there is going to be this meeting with this power station guy. And he wants to use this meeting to potentially, you know, figure out, scope it out and, and crash it. And he's there and we get to meet, uh, a character that we've met before, um, briefly, I think in a couple other, maybe one or two other novels, but we, we meet B.B. Kincaid, who was there, uh, along with Rap, in the motel across the street, doing surveillance, um, for this potential meeting between Power Station and ISIS. And, it's during, uh, the scene at the motel, where, shit starts to, hit the fan. Uh, and he realizes, after 30 minutes of, past when the time was supposed to meet, uh, something's wrong. And tells BB to get out of there. And obviously Alton, who he Alton didn't believe the whole airplane story and immediately thought, because he knew that his operatives were going to be traveling from Spain, that, oh, they obviously got, got someone on that on that flight. CIA is involved or, or the feds are involved, whatever, and tipped tipped them off. And what ensues in this whole scene, I, I, this is one of my favorite scenes of the, of the novel in terms of the, the, just the action and uh, rap. You know, he he knows that as soon as he comes out of that hotel, he's going to be marked because just the way he's built. Obviously, and these people obviously know who like know who he is or know what a person like him looks like. Him is going to do so as soon as he emerges from that hotel, he puts himself in danger, and then he knows that they also want to go out and, in a place of glory. Yep. So
1: all those c- civilians that are in that diner are, or he has to save them. So BBC's an assault rifle. One of them grab out of the truck and he's right. like wrap gun. And that's when he guns it. He, he comes on in. So, yeah, it's about to go down.
0: Yeah. And I, I am bringing this back to another movie and another scene, but this remind me of a, a scene from Jack Reacher, this, uh, this whole diner scene. Uh, but there's a very similar scene with like a diner and, and Reacher comes in and uh, it's it's instead of ISIS, it's like racist cops. But yeah, anyways, um, this is just a very another very good movie scene that you would want to capture on the screen. I, I felt like. But yeah, Rap gets hit.
1: Yeah. yeah but he he doesn't give up. <laughs> yeah. He jumps behind a truck and thankfully the truck is loaded with fertilizer, which takes a lot of the bullets. So it doesn't rip through the, you know, the frame and the body of the truck. But he gets hit in the, is it the side or the leg? Yeah, I think the side. I think it's his side. But he still manages to get inside the diner, finish off uh, one of the operatives right before I think he was about to shoot uh, an innocent bystander. He did. He did shoot. There was one casualty. Yeah. Although by this time, power station already tipped off ISIS to get away. And the main leader who we're looking for, Nahas at this time, I think, he was coming. He was inbound. For the meeting, and the two guys that Rap is dealing with and just took out are actually just the um, the scouts, and so Nahas Muhammad Nahas is still on his way. He turns it around, hightails it out, and that's when we get Rap calling in for Coleman to make the intercept. And um, is it Fred Mason again with the helicopter? They got a helicopter. They got Coleman, and they want to intercept the van that the ISIS uh, leader is is hightailing it out of there on. I will say one, just to bring it back up. The badass
0: thing of that scene was BB running over one of the operatives yes. right before they were about to shoot Rap. That that was one of the one of the sickest things. She and does kill one. He's in like the I even, lot. S- you see the headlights, and the next thing you know, you see her like grabbing over. It. That was that was pretty badass. Yeah,
1: that's right. She does kill one of them with the truck, and that's when Rap yeah. runs inside to take the other guy before he can do yeah. more more damage. Pretty decent scene, and when they get to the van. Uh, Rap realizes they're wearing ski masks and they're trying to figure out why. And I forget, is it Bruno who's operating with Rap at the van? Mass. It's, uh, it's mass. Maz. It's Maz. Maz and Rap are trying to get to this van and attack it. And right as they're about to move in, Rap senses something's wrong. Why are they wearing ski masks? And then he also and why says, Why are they staying inside? Why are they staying at the van? If they wanted to escape, they would be in the forest because they can get lost in the forest. And Rap's ready to chase them into the forest. Well, he realizes last second, I think right as they're charging the van, these guys, they want to go down in a blaze of glory. They're going to blow this thing up and try to take out as many people around it as they can, including Rap, and they blow it up. But the fact that they concealed their identity is important because it proves to Rap that Nahas is still out there. They wanted it to seem like he died in the explosion, So that, you know, the entire country would say or the CIA would say, oh, he's dead. The ISIS leadership is gone. We don't have to target him anymore. But they don't know who died in the explosion. They don't know if Nahas was there or not. And it turns out he wasn't. Yeah. And I think like even as like rap is bleeding
0: out on the the helicopter back, he says you know, get the FBI to I- identify those guys, and then immediately Mass has to call in an ambulance to get him get him some blood back into him because he he was doing that whole thing, the chase and the helicopter scene while he's bleeding uh, out. With, yeah, while I was bleeding out, um, came close on the helicopter. He was uh, he was in a daze for sure. So then we cut to an interesting scene. I'm interested to talk to you about this one, Martini, in terms of Alton. Having tipped on tipped off Nahas, uh, now meets with him and another guy who we, is, is Faisal Ibrahim, and yeah, you know, he explains the entire attack, what he needs done, also explains these heart rate monitors, which are a key element of the story and how they work and how they're it's sort of his you know insurance how. Once the attack goes off, you can't kill me because if you kill me, then that I can reverse the attack with with this little piece of coat. Uh, almost like a MacGuffin, I guess. Um, and then out of nowhere, Alton has the balls to stab the leader of ISIS and kill him and take control. At one point, I, I liked it. I liked this like idea, but I also just
1: couldn't. I couldn't see Alton doing this, though. Yeah. Uh, He's by no means a a trained operative or an assassin in any way, but at the same time, he knows getting in bed with ISIS puts him at a disadvantage, because these guys, as we saw, Saeed Halabi has built up, are Western-trained, Western-educated. He knows this wave of ISIS operatives are going to be smart enough to mastermind him, and once the grid goes down, he knows he's going to be useless. So... I kind of buy into this idea of he's afraid of having ISIS leadership take over. And all he was was the brains of the operation. Once he hands over their plans and tells them what to do, he realizes he's toast. So the heart rate monitor, this insurance policy, it worked. Um, You know, if they torture him and his heart rate goes too high, it will trigger a release of documents to the CIA. The U.S. will automatically get intelligence on everything about how to get the grid back up and running. All the malware he installed, all the substations they hit and plan to hit, all the diversions of energy that overloaded um, transformers, they'll get it all so they can undo it. You know, so... And same thing if his heart rate goes to zero if he's dead. So I kind of buy that as an insurance policy to keep ISIS from hurting him, you know, so that he can still have the upper hand. Did they need to kill off Nahas? Maybe, because Faisal Ibrahim who he works with is ISIS's second rate technology guy. Remember, uh, Hattel Hamal Khatan was killed in the airplane and the interrogation. And so this is the second rate technology guy for ISIS and a couple of foot soldiers. I think Alton can keep the upper hand over a crew like that, where if Alton had to deal with the leader in, of ISIS, who knows what the CIA has on him, who knows how the CIA is tracking him. But I think, Alton realized it's a, it's a little safer to just work with this tech nerd and a couple ISIS foot soldiers who will listen to him, you know? I, I guess in
0: the moment, I was fine with it. But then as you further develop this this villain, it didn't fit the bill. Yeah, maybe, maybe we could talk about this later. But how he spirals into being the villain that he is in the end, this scene just didn't and maybe maybe it just shows like how how much of a fall he he will eventually have i guess i don't know this again we can talk about this tomorrow but i i feel like there's two different villains in alton there is the the smart one and then there's the inexperienced you know sort of I'm hereby flying by the seat of my pants. I don't yep. know what I'm doing. I'm very eager. I'm very naive. Yeah. But then the other half of him, you know, it's almost like a two faced type thing. Yeah.
1: So. Well, it's like you said. It's Hank, Senator Hank Clark from Third Option, yeah. and uh, the Professor. It's those two. Sides. In that
0: move, it's it's a like Hank Clark move. Yeah. And then yep. the rest of the novel he's, is the Professor. Yeah, he's the Professor. Well,
1: so. here's speaking of uh, this part of Alton's plan and how it's progressing, I. I was a little shocked that – so here's this guy with this intelligence. He shopped around, he says, with the Chinese, I believe with the Iranians. We know he's contacted the Russians, which will end up being part of um, the story later on. But now he's talking to ISIS, and he's just texting. Like literally he's texting at some points the head of ISIS.
0: I think it's like more of a secure communication text, but yeah.
1: I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. But just the fact I'm saying he's made contact and shopped around with all of these different major geopolitical players. How the heck can he still be so confident nobody's on to him? That nobody in the whole global and American security and intelligence apparatus isn't on to him at all. I just thought it was a little nonchalant how he's talking to the Russians and he's talking to the Chinese and he's shopping up with ISIS. I don't know.
0: I think that ultimately leads to his, his hubris in his downfall, like because he is an idiot in that sense. Right. You know, I feel like again, the better version of this is, is he, him to be like a, we were talking about this the other day where the better version of him is to be like the troll, and Nicholas in like the Brad Thorne no- novels where who has this superior knowledge of electronics and, and, and computer skills. Right. But wouldn't just come out in the open and start emailing, you know,
1: oh, let me email all of America's like uh, enemies. And then I'm going to meet with them in person. Hey, SVR, do you want to come o- wake up a Russian sleeper mole and I'll just meet with her? You know, like, I, I don't know. Is that how go- how he would make contact? <laughs> But I guess for
0: the SVR to awake a Russian sleeper mole, it had to have been, like, some sort of yeah. credible intel. They must have you sensed so he's a professional in some regard, the way he He went wrong. His, actually, his ultimate downfall is going to meet her himself.
1: That's true. Because she identifies him later on at the congressional yeah. hearing on the news. Yeah. Yeah, she sees him just sitting in the background. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But, I mean, there's, um, there's a lot else going on in the background, uh, if you will, during all of this. We actually cut to a couple of White House scenes around Chapter 13 of the book. And we do see President Alexander assembling his crew, getting the updates from Kennedy saying, we've got this um, terrorist in Spain. We've learned that there's some sort of plan in the works. We got him where Mitch and his spoon and testicle threatening got him to admit it's the power grid that they're going to hit. And there's a guy with information who approached them about getting some ISIS guys to help him uh, take out parts of the power grid. And the president and his his group start playing out scenarios saying, what if? And they're really I feel like here the plot is ramping up. This is that like rising action in the plot structure of. All right, the U.S. has the intelligence. That was the the opening scene. Now that they have the intelligence, what the heck are we going to do if this whole thing goes down? And we're inside the White House with a very seasoned veteran of FEMA, T.J. Burton. What do you think of him as he's addressing the president and this group is trying to work out what would happen if our grid does go down and stays down?
0: Honestly, the best part of that chapter was, you know, rap we're a sort of rap's internal monologue there where he says TJ Burton is one of the, you know, the smartest, most competent men that he knew. And at first he's asked the question and he's like, I don't know, or I, I we'd have no plan. And then Alexander's like, I pay you to have a plan. And, and Rap in his mind's like, he's definitely thought about it. He has something. And then immediately like, you know, whatever seconds, couple, whatever later he's like, well, this is what would happen. And then he literally lays out all of, you know, the things that you would need to do and like, you know, this is what's going to happen. 90% of, and then you have to be like, I liked, he just laid it out. You have to become a dictator. Yeah. You have to figure out water. You can't let politicians get in the way. Like, you know, and he's like all, this is all stuff that I've thought about while uh, mowing his lawn or, or something, you know, he, ideas that he's concocted is if this, this had happened. And that's literally showing what, what Rapp's assessment of him. Cause rap knew that this guy is not, he's not a slouch. He, he cared about his country. He, you know, put his work as the head of FEMA. Uh, and that's, that was my favorite part of the scene of yeah. when he's like
1: going over what exactly the president would need to do. Yeah. And that's pretty scary what he's laying out. They even make it clear. He's got tons of experience in national emergencies They even quote him working in sub-Saharan Africa and Southern Asia and all sorts of disasters. And he has been like the point person to coordinate international and uh, domestic responses to these disasters. And if he's the most seasoned man for that and he literally goes, I would have no clue how we get through this. You know, if the grid goes out across America and 100 percent of the country and it lasts a full year, heck, if it lasts a month or two. Uh, even FEMA and everything we've we've stockpiled wouldn't get us through it. So yeah. pretty shocking moment. They even – I think Irene meets with Alton. They bring him in and say, well, we have an expert who knows the power grid. Let's exactly. pick his Janus. brain. Yeah. yeah, let's bring uh, – yeah, brings in Janice from the Department of Energy who also brings in Alton. And that was kind of cool thinking loss of control. So far exactly. all we know about Alton, he's in perfect control of the mission He's confident in his own mind. He's in perfect control of his plans. When he gets called down to the CIA headquarters, he recognizes he's meeting with Irene Kennedy, the head of the CIA, and she's like, we know something's going to happen. You're the expert. Can you can you fill us in? He wants to give her just enough to let her know he's, or let her think he's being helpful, but at the same time, he doesn't want to give her enough to foil his plan. He's even like... So what? If the CIA catches a couple of these ISIS operatives trying to shoot up a a transformer or two, doesn't matter. We'll go hit the other transformers. He's even calculated we only need to hit these nine nodes, these nine substations that interconnect regional grids. And he's like, fine, I'll give Irene two or three of them. What, they'll catch the terrorists, but I'll still be able to take down the other 80% of the grid. His plan is starting to unravel bit by bit.
0: That's exactly what I was going to bring up, this whole sequence of, because originally he says that he was going to do this attack during the summer, because doing it during the summer in the heat where, one, Americans are more likely to venture outside, not want to stay inside, which would lead to more unrest. Two, there's no, during the summer when you have these fires that are going to ensue from the overloading the system and overloading the power lines when you have these dry the dry part of the summer like the fires just are exacerbated and then three he wanted to be in the summer (laughs) this nice scene where he's sipping champagne in this perfect little area overlooking dc yeah and then he ends up having to do it in the middle of the winter um but yeah no this is totally total loss of control yeah but he realizes that he can't he he can't let on he can't like be like oh do these nine super sta- these nine substations when they're like she she's smart enough he realizes that Irene is smart enough to pick through his bullshit yeah so he
1: he can't he can't uh he can't pull one over on her he can't give her false yeah. information that doesn't actually make a difference he has to give her enough that makes her think they might be successful
0: which then really like highlights again, this duality of villains because in this moment, he's yeah. very
1: smart. He's, he's smart he's, enough he's, to he's, outwit Irene. Like, that's yeah. something. That really, really is something. And Rap. Like, Rap
0: doesn't and rap. catch on to him that he's being this weaselly guy. Because like, I, I I would imagine that sitting in that room, he obviously, he, he notices Rap. Yeah. He doesn't know his name, but he notices, like, oh, who is this guy? Yeah. Um, and then, like, later on, he realizes that This guy is, you know, is not someone to mess with.
1: Irene's right-hand man.
0: Yeah. And so, but he's able to exude calm and give enough information to pull one over on Rap and Irene.
1: Which is kind of crazy because thinking back to our last episode where we dug into all the research around America's real power grid... Well, not only is Kyle using that and being really uh, honest uh, and and down to earth about our real vulnerabilities, he's created a villain who literally is the expert. He is the the country's and maybe the world's top expert on power authorities. He's been authorized by the government to research and access all of this. We were talking about Dr. Pry, who leads this EMP task force. And advises Congress and advises uh, different parts of the executive branch on how to protect our vulnerabilities. Is is someone like Dr. Pry in the real world? They have all this information. They seem to be very smart and intelligent. But Kyle takes that and makes them the villain right under the government's eyes. They granted them all this power. I couldn't help thinking like – Even pay them millions of dollars to do it. Exactly. He's getting millions of dollars to work as a government contractor. What if uh, – think about it. What if the Russians, the Chinese, ISIS, whoever, wanted to contract someone to figure out the best way to launch an EMP attack and or other sort of sort of communications grid attack on America? I would want that guy pry. I would literally want him – I would want him on my side if I were planning an attack because he's the top guy. Well, we're getting that with Alton here. Uh, he yeah. is the top guy and he's also the mastermind. Yes. So –
0: after we get Alton interacting with the CIA, we get two scenes that I, I kind of like. They are sort of breaking up the action in terms of we have Sonya who breaks into uh, Alton's house and she she has some skills, Mike. She Yes, yeah, she's been a sleeper agent for some time, but she's able to get into his house. She brought in some cleaning supplies to disguise as a maid. There's no obvious sensors uh that she knows of and she's able to go around, she hooks up the hard drive and then boom, he comes home. But she quickly has quick thinking, knocks over a stack of books to make it seem like a motion sensor went off, hides under the bed, and he he leaves. But and she, you know, she's able to escape with sort of half a hard drive. And I like this, like she's sort of showing building up this character a little bit in we, we see Sonya five to six chapters. And just building her up a little bit, I I hope that this character stays and we see her more um in the future, but yeah, like it she has she has some skills as as
1: some spycraft, she does quick thinking on her feet, and it's pretty funny though she unplugs the hard drive when it's only whatever seventy percent downloaded off Alton's computer, and later on after she rendezvous with Rap, we're gonna see down the road, she's like oh yeah I mean. I don't know much about this Alton guy. He talked to me. He showed me his plans. Well, do you have his plans? No, nah, I unplugged the hard drive, and it was 70% done downloading. And she thinks, like, it's not going to have any information. And Marcus is like, what? Give it to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, come on. That's huge.
0: And then the other scene that we get that I really liked, which was very brief, but it's just, you know, Mitch... He's, it's funny because it, it harkens back to a scene in Lethal Agent where he had to change his bunker to be better for a bio uh, attack. Now he has to change it back to for this electrical attack and to store more food. And and then we cut to this very quick scene where uh, they've set up the barn that Anna
1: has all their farm animals, which now he's happy that he has the farm animals so he can kill them. Last book he was talking about eating curry vindaloo or something with her lamb, and now it's like, Crap, they might have to do that. <laughs> um, exactly. And we see
0: uh it's another little tidbit for, you know, serious book readers. These characters that uh come back from the past. We have good old Skip McMahon, our favorite FBI uh yes. field agent. Second favorite to uh Mark Beeman. Oh, uh, true. Second favorite. <laughs> and and we have um we have Mike Nash's wife. Um who I don't know why we don't get Mike Nash because he was one of my favorite characters and I really wish they would bring him back.
1: Um, yeah, I was yeah, so was... I just finished the last man Vince's last book and he's kind of in the doghouse. Irene is kind of kind of shitting on him and backbenching him while they're in Afghanistan. And so I was trying to think like what happens between then and now that he's not in Manassas at this meeting but his wife is there. I was trying to think. Like, is he just working? He's still at the CIA, right?
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, he was being groomed to be. I thought he was being groomed to be the next Irene because obviously they were they're yeah. pulling him out of the field, or or if not the next Irene, potentially maybe even the president because yeah, they gave him this, um, you know, Medal of Honor. Yeah, and he was now going to be the front man, the main liaison between the CIA, you know, between the CIA and the White House to have the you know. Because he's obviously he's compromised, can't be a field agent. I thought he was going to be Irene's protege. Same, and we haven't seen him since, really.
1: Well, that's what I was wondering. Does Kyle deal with him at any other point in the first in his first couple books? Because I forgot reading Last Man, Irene kind of puts him in the doghouse, and you know, it's like go push pencils or go do your work. And he questions her at one point, which I thought would have been a good quality. Like you want that person on your staff. Mm who puts you in check when you're a leader so that you don't go too fast and make missteps. But I didn't get that sense. And to think it was Vince's last book, I was like, I I, I forgot. Is that how we leave Nash with him kind of being given the back seat by Irene at the CIA? I
0: have to go back to Survivor yeah. and see how he's, how he's brought up in there.
1: Same. I, f- I forgot it.
0: I, and ever since you told me that, Extreme Measures was supposed to be a Mike Nash book. Uh, I, I, as I was reading it, I thought that, but I never, I just thought, oh, th- this must, must just be me. But now that you said, like, you listen to a podcast yeah. or found that on the internet or whatever. Yeah, it was front and center in sense. that one. Uh, no, literally, like, rap was, like, penciled in. Yep. I think rap is only in, like, five chapters. Yep. So.
1: I think he was an afterthought. It was supposed to be yeah. a kind of spinoff. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: No, yeah. but we'll get to that when we when we get there yeah. in the series. No, definitely. Anyways, it
0: was nice to see these characters being brought back in. Yeah. Even if just for a brief
1: little time. And Rap's kind of giving them the rundown of, hey, look, we have intelligence. We think this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna be pretty bad. We can protect the complex. Uh, we can protect you and each other. Uh, you know we've built this place to be a fort for as long as we need. But he does tell them, you might want to go make arrangements for your families. And I think it's Skip who asks, well, what about so-and-so who lives in this state? And raps like, too late. I, I don't think you can do anything. And so they're all coming to this sober realization of, you know, what happens if you defend for yourself? But then you realize they're not after you. They're after the whole country and your loved ones. Yeah. And it, it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with some very cute scenes with Anna. Um cute in an adolescent sense. She's definitely growing up. She's arguing with Claudia. Claudia is telling her to, you know, sweep the barn or get ready for the meeting or something. And she gives her some lip and she's going back and forth, but it's sweet in the sense of, even if she's growing up and getting a little more, you know, snotty, it's, it's human. It's a family, right? It's, it's what's supposed to happen. She's supposed to go through this stage And then she even asks at one point, you know, I think they're trying to warn her that there's some really bad things will happen. We might stay at the complex. Oh, her school. They're trying to tell her you might not go back to school. When do I go back to school? And she goes, What about Tina? When will I see Tina? I guess it's just her friend. And like that one line from this little girl of like, When will I see Tina? And I I just talked to my students today about it. We reflected all on coronavirus and this distance learning. And it was like this sucks for them. A bunch of them were like, I haven't seen my friends in five months. Like, I haven't seen my grandparents um in six months. And we used to visit them once a week. And, like, it sucks for these kids. And here's Anna in the story being told, get ready to hunker down. You know, you're not going to see Tina. And, and in the back of, I think it was Mitch's mind, he's like, what will happen to Tina? Like, is Anna ever going to play with her again? Is Is she going to make it? No, it's. I think it's even
0: – it's after the lights go out. Yeah. And he – she first asked, when will I go back to school? It's. He's like, oh, it's Christmas, Christmas break. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that was a hard lie to say. And then she's like, what about Tina? And he's like, oh, she'll be – she'll make it through this. And then he's like, that was an even harder lie to say because oh. she's probably – she probably won't make it through it. And like, oh. think about like your kids now and they have Zoom. But like in this sort of situation – they have Zoom, they have cell phones, whatever. But in this situation, like no one's talking to anybody. Like that's that's a very tough thing to tell a kid like this in this. And that was one of the things I really liked about this story was, yeah. and it's been an arc that we're building through our current books. Uh, you know, we sort of jumped ahead, but this idea of Mitch getting out and Mitch building a family, and we know that Mitch, obviously, if you're if you're if you're this far and you read this, you probably already know that you know Mitch has had some serious problems in, in his family and a turmoil in his family. And it's nice to see that he can finally have that. Yes. These are some crazy situations, both in the last novel and, and in this novel, but it's nice to see those little pockets of humanity with him. Finally, finally, you know?
1: Yeah. And even though we're getting that, those pockets of humanity, um, as you say, in an apocalypse, he, <laughs> he turns around and he's back to being a hundred percent, the operative, um, and the planner that he is just like on a mission. He's going to treat this whole thing as a mission. He's got everyone gathered and he's telling them, you want to recalibrate your investments. You want to move them yes. preferably overseas so you know that they don't totally tank. You want to stock up on food. Uh, when you order supplies and you have to go to a physical store, pay cash, and go to different stores so no one remembers you buying a whole lot of supplies at one place – because, I mean, think about it. if some clerk remembers, hey, you're that dude at Sam's Club who bought like 18 million loaves of bread and like 30,000 cans I of never, whatever. I actually never thought about that. That was an interesting thing to think about. You know, they're going to go in the computer system, look at the security cameras, and be like, that guy's got all the food. You know, that guy's got all the guns. He bought them at, you know, who knows, you know, uh, best Pro Shops. And so Raps like, shop around at different places in small batches, pay cash. And then he says, if you want to bring your family here, make a plan now. In the first few days, you could probably get away with it. After a couple of days to a week, communications and driving, they're not going to get here. Give up on it. He even says, this place is going to be a fortress. We're going lights out protocol. They don't want any lights on because that will show all this. You know, they're up on this mountain in Manassas. Uh, It would show all the surrounding areas that they've got electricity. And so he's setting up protocols. He's planning ahead. It was kind of crazy to see this family scene. Old friends coming together and then snap. Mitch jumps into um, intelligence. Mitch, CIA operative. Mitch. No, I think those are important things to think about. Like,
0: if we were ever to go through something like this, I would have never have thought to like board up my house or like try to conceal if I had had stuff. Yeah. Um, Sonia does I it guess too. The, yeah, she does it too. She like takes like her drapes. What is it? Uh, or na Like. Uh, drawer liners that are yep. black and like staples them to the, to the, to the window. Yep. So she can light a candle um, or whatever inside without yeah, people and, knowing yeah. she's
1: there. Yeah. Those are the things I wouldn't think about that in this book. It kind of wakes you up to the reality of it. Yes. Well, we're getting close though, to not only the end of the episode, but we're getting close to the day the power goes out. What does Alton refer to it as zero hour?
0: Zero hour. Yes. Yep. So, having to move up his timeline because the CIA is hot on his trail, probably going to implement some of his things that he told the government need to be done in order to save the, uh, you know, prevent an attack that he wants to implement. So he takes ISIS to his stronghold in Virginia in this bunker that he's meticulously laid out. And at the same time that the attack is about to happen, obviously he's given the CIA some of these substations that he's going to attack we find Rap sitting on Christmas morning, not in front of the fire or in the Christmas tree, but instead on a mountain in North Carolina, waiting for someone to come. And he, he has scoped it out. He knows exactly where a sniper would want to set up. He even like made a little trap situation so that way if the sniper does go there, he can easily take them out. And he does. But as soon as he takes the sniper
1: out, the lights go out. And the sniper just starts laughing. That dark grin and laugh just where Rap's like, they got me. You know, we beat you, we won kind of laugh, even as he's dying. Cutscene, though, to Power Station. How's he celebrating (laughs) Zero Hour? He pulls up with his Porsche in the middle of, it just says Northern Virginia, And he had the whole thing planned. He wanted to have a picnic for himself, $1,200 bottle of champagne, Bermuda shorts, flip-flops. He was ready for just a summer picnic, celebrating, watching the lights go out and watching these Transformers explode. But having to move up his plan, remember loss of control, being Christmas, he's kind of disappointed that it's cold and the fires won't start. And it's not going to be this whole show of fireworks that he was planning for. So what a jackass. (laughs) (laughs) And immediately
0: the lights go out and the chapter ends by saying, Merry Christmas, America. Yeah. So that's that's part one. That's chapters one through or prelude through 20. And um,
1: yeah. What did you think, Mike? Uh, This was a strong opening. Really strong introduction of at least two new characters, uh, very believable characters, their motivations of why they are in the place in life that they are. We talked about Alton a lot, but Sonia, how she was a sleeper agent. She's kind of just floating through life, getting ready, waiting for her call up. She's called into action. Very believable that Isis would want in on this plot. You know, the Russians decided not to move on it. They didn't want to be responsible. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. So it's very believable that ISIS would, since they've been so dismantled after the events of Lethal Agent and losing Halabi. They're they're grasping at straws. They want something. And this seems to be what can finally put the nail in the coffin of America and, you know, ISIS can get some sense of victory. So a very believable uh, start to this book. Very frightening start to this book.
0: Yeah, and we got three really good scenes in terms of the the plane, the motel, and, you know, the the power going out. I, I thought that those were three really good scenes. Um, and, yeah,
1: can't wait to talk about the rest with, it, rest with you. So, yeah, what are we going to be doing next week? We will get through the rest of the book. We will give you chapter summaries as we tried to weave in today. But we're also going to give you these big picture discussions and talk about our winners and losers scenes and characters we liked and enjoyed. We're also going to share some qualms we had. We, we don't want to nitpick too much, but we're going to share some things that maybe didn't gel or work with us in the book. And so we are going to get to the end of power en- and the end of total power next week.
0: We begin to get into the apocalyptic like portion of the book, which I really like. Yeah. And if you haven't yet, which I don't know why you haven't, and I don't know why you've made it this far in the podcast, but <laughs> if you haven't yet, please make sure you order your copy of Total Power. Specifically, we prefer from an independent bookseller. And, you know, while this episode is dropping, there's, continue, there's continuing to be um, Kyle's virtual book tour. Uh, you could check that out. There's a couple dates for right after this pod drops. Yeah, check out your wrap Christmas greeting cards if you want those. And again... We need to send a special thank you to our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., and then also our special agents, who we have Matt, James, Roman, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, and Jeff. Thank you, guys. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at midtrappod.com or using our Twitter handle, at MitchRappPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap and the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crux.